0: Well, good morning yet again. Brian, would you close that door back there? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, I, I do want to uh, make this announcement again. David made it already in case some of you slipped in. It's a, it's a rare thing for anyone to arrive here after the service has already begun. But just in case, we're actually thinking about changing our name to Last Minute Community Church. So, uh, But... Just in case you missed this announcement, we are having, after the service, a discovery lunch. We're going to have pizza, uh, some sides, I'm sure, a little, little sides not, but pizza's the big deal after, after lunch. And if you have been coming, as David said, a couple of months, uh, a little bit more, especially if you're not connected or if you've been coming for a year and you're not connected with the home group, this would be a good day to just come and meet our elders. Interact with them, the staff, and talk about how you can get plugged in more and and ask any questions that you might have. We would love to have you join us at this Discovery Lunch. If you're a student, if you're not signed up for this, see David at the booth, the information booth, outside immediately after the service and say, Hey, I want to sign up. We can get more pizza. That'll be for seconds. We'll have enough to go around the first time unless you eat three pizzas. Three pizzas, not three pieces. If you eat three pizzas, then we're in trouble. But otherwise, we've got enough. We'd love for you to join us. Um, My wife, Allison, is sick today, so please pray for her. She has been run down for quite a a while. She's not feeling well at all. So I'm just going to stay long enough to say hello to some people. Okay, well, I'm going to stay long enough to get some pizza. Then I'm going home to check on my my sick wife. But uh, this will impact also one other little thing here quickly. I, uh, Lee did an excellent job talking about why home groups are important. Um, I, and, you know, I should have uh, thought about this ahead of time, but let's just do this. I want to ask the home group leaders to stand when I call out your particular area. And if you're not connected with a home group leader, I mean a home group, check with one of these guys after the service and say, hey, you meet in my area, tell me a little bit about your group. You can find all of this information online at our website, on the city, on the plaza at the city. We, we use a, uh, a service called The City that sort of connects our body uh, to itself. And um, we have a place where you don't have to be signed up. You can just go to the plaza, and all that information is in your your bulletins. But if you are a leader in the Fuquay Arena area, would you please stand? We've got five groups in the Fuquave Arena area, okay? Mike Moneypenny, they meet out toward Hilltop. Brandon Wyant meets in Le- Lakestone. Our group meets in Lakestone. We may have to move that tomorrow night because of Allison. Lee Williford uh, meets with the Sean Cross group, but Lee's going to be taking over that group. And then we have one more, Stephen Eisenberg. Stephen's not here. Uh, okay, so Stephen, that group meets anywhere from Duncan to Lillington. I'm telling you, they they, gotta, they meet all over the place. Okay, thank you, guys. All right, how about Dunn? There's only one in Dunn. That's Burt Wallace. And if you are in, in the Dunn or the Coates area, you might consider that. Or Coates, you might also consider Bowies Creek. We're the Buies Creek leaders, if you would, stand, Jim McLaughlin uh, and Chris Polk. Both meet in Keith Hills, uh, the Acock home. Drew Peterson, not far out of uh, Keith Hills. What's the name of your neighborhood? Highland Drive. Highland Drive. It's up right by the Buies Creek Airport. Um, we've been a little bit suspicious about some of the activity that goes on at the, uh, at the Peterson home group. Thank you, <laughs> Drew. But look, um, so just be aware of that, you know. If you if you like suspicious activity, then this is the group for you. Um, sometimes you take things too far, you know. All right, Andrew. Andrew uh, Neil Manning is not uh, here. They have a group that meets. There. It's a large group, and and then David and Sarah Calvert meet as well, and Andrew. And that's a pretty good sized group as well. So we have a lot of groups that are that are pretty full. So we need some new. Uh, leader. So be thinking about that. When I first uh, came to Grace Community Church 15 years ago, I I knew that the first series that I would preach would be in the Gospel of John. I I went back one time and, and counted up the number of sermons that were in that Series and it, and it turned out to be 57. I, I don't know that I would pre- take 57 weeks to get through the Gospel of John. But I might. Even Even now. There's just so much to be said in the Gospel of John. Since that time, we have spent time at the Sermon on the Mount. Quite a few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew. When we were going through Acts a few years ago. We were constantly connecting Acts with the book of Luke. Uh, Because Luke was the author of Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke. And this morning we're going to begin a series in Mark. So naturally, I would like to read from Philippians 3.10. (laughs) Where the Apostle Paul writes, That I may know Him, Jesus. And the power of His resurrection. And may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. This is one of those verses in Scripture that sooner or later almost always captures the mind and heart and imagination of believers. Some point in their walk with Christ, they come across this verse and they say, Yeah, that's what I want. A lot of times, it's actually in the early years, when they say that this. This looks like a complete sentence on the screen. Actually, there's supposed to be a period after death, but it's not. Starts in verse eight and goes all the way through verse eleven, and that's actually a thought that begins in verse seven. Paul is <clears throat> saying, in the larger context, that anything that I have to offer to God is really of no value at all, but Jesus is of inestimable, an and i practice that a hundred times, inestimable value to me. I mean nothing to him in who I am. I mean everything to him being created in his image, but my good works don't impress him in the least. But what He means to me cannot be expressed in any human way. He means everything to me. And all of my good works are rubbish. But Jesus, I'll give up everything for Him. In fact, I want to know Him at a level that surpasses anything I can achieve or receive in this world in this life, in order to gain Christ. Now, I, I remember I was just a young believer when I read this verse, or someone pointed it out, and I said, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. Paul had been a, a follower of Jesus some 20 to 25 years when he wrote this word. So he's, he's saying, I want to know him at a deeper level than I already do. It's not just saying, you know, I I want to know Jesus. I I want to make sure that I'm related to Him. Uh, For starters, Paul said, I want to know Jesus in the power of His resurrection. Resurrection power I want in my life. No doubt for purity in life. No doubt for preaching the gospel. I want that resurrection power to go forth when I preach the gospel. No doubt. For the communion with Jesus that such Holy Spirit power would bring. To what length was Paul willing to go to know Jesus at this level? I I want to share in his sufferings. Paul knew about suffering. He was in prison when he wrote these words. And and it wasn't his first prison. (laughs) I mean, every time you turn around, Paul's in prison. Now, you may remember that when Paul was in prison... In Jerusalem, from our study in Acts a few years ago, Jesus actually came to him. By the way, when you see Paul in prison in Philippi, what was he doing? What were he and Silas doing? Praising God, singing, worshiping. Probably raising their hands, just like David was talking about this morning. Raising their hands in worship. When you see him in Jerusalem, in prison in Jerusalem, he was depressed almost out of his mind. He was deeply Discouraged. You don't think of Paul like that, but he was that way. And Jesus came to him and ministered to him. Now, that was was an exception where he was in prison and Jesus showed up. Look, does that happen today? It very well may. In fact, I have heard of people having encounters, and I believe with everything in me, they were with Jesus. We don't hear about those here. One of the reasons is that we have so much of the Word, but there are a lot of places where... People don't have the word and Jesus shows up. But he never says, and if you'll just believe in me, you'll go to heaven. He's, in, in cases that I've heard about that I think Jesus was there, it's like, okay, someone's going to tell you about me. It's, we have to tell people about Jesus. We shouldn't expect that if we go to prison. Every time Paul was in prison, he was there because of Jesus. We shouldn't expect him to show up. But you know what? We can share in his sufferings in the same way. That Jesus did. And there's something about. Suffering with other people. That binds you together. It It either tears you apart. Or it binds you together. In unbelievable ways. I. I. I Spent time with Chad. A few weeks ago. We were going to have about an hour lunch. And it ended up being a four hour lunch. And. He just kept. Talking about. How much and I haven't told you this, Sarah. He kept talking about how much his heart was towards Sarah and how much he just wanted to minister to her. And 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 he wanted to build his life in that way. Because suffering will either tear you apart and look, I know it's been a challenge for them. I know it's been a challenge for Elise and Craig. I know it 's a challenge for anybody who loses a child in any way or or has a child to, to go off the reservation and just really struggle or or, or want to str- struggle with depression. Those things are challenging to relationships, but if you move through it, there 's a bond that just will not that 's unlike any other. And that's what Paul is talking about here. I want to know Jesus at that level. And your suffering doesn't have to be in a prison. It may be in a hospital bed. But let your suffering bring you to Him. Don't complain about it. And I complain about it all the time. So, you know, preacher, take your own medicine. Don't complain about it. Don't seek every way possible to get out of this. We'll beat this. We'll beat this. We're going to... We're, well, look. God's will will be done. We will pray for healing, even as Lee prayed for Elise this morning. But just submit to God. And draw near to Jesus in suffering. And and you know what? Sometimes he does incredible things. And he shows the world, I'm in charge. Not anybody here, not anything that comes against you. But he's just as much God when he doesn't do it that way as he is when he does it that way. Paul knew that suffering brought him closer to Jesus. In fact, Paul said, I, I want to know Jesus to the point, point that I become like him in his death. Now, if you don't know the gospel, you, you might think of that as rather morbid. You know, some, some death wish or, or something like that. But to know Jesus is not only to know about his cross. It's to take up our cross and follow Him. And look. People that don't know Jesus. Die to themselves. Every day by. Deferring submitting to someone else. I'd like to do this. You want to do this. Okay let's go do this. So. That's what he's talking about. But at a much deeper level. Than that. And it's also. It also may mean that when you. Speak the name of Jesus. People want to nail you to a cross just like they nailed him to a cross. Paul said, that's okay. I, I, I want to know him at that level. Look, Peter, it's almost, it's tradition, but it's pretty, we have it on pretty good, have a pretty good sense that this really happened. That Peter, when it, you know, he ran away when Jesus was arrested. But when it came time for him to die, He said, I, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord did. Crucify me upside down. Very likely that's what happened. And you know why? Because he, he recognized. That in suffering and even in dying. There was a relationship with Jesus. That transcended any. Security, any protection, any. Comfort that this world has to offer. So that is, in a nutshell, the gospel, the message of the gospel of Mark. And we thank you once again, Scott Shambly, for for providing these slides for us. Mark, the way of the king. And Scott beautifully captured the essence of what this is all about. it, It shows Jesus in his earthiness. You know, he came to this earth and he got down and he dug in the dirt with us. Literally, at times. And it also shows his mission, which was to die for sinners. Sinners. Mark, Mark seeks to tell the story that Jesus is the king that God had promised David. He's the Messiah that Israel looked for. He was the son of man who bore our sins on the tree. The king who carried the cross... That we might have eternal life. You could say that the way of the king is the way of the cross. And this is what Paul was saying. The way of the follower of the king is also the way of the cross. If we're following Jesus, we're following him all the way to the cross. Because that's the way of the king. Paul said, I want to know Jesus. My heart longs to know him more intimately than I do right now. I want to know power and the sufferings of this life. I want to die to myself just as Jesus died for me. And we want the same thing, don't we? Don't you want that? do you want what Paul expressed in this place? For several months, we're going to be listening and learning not only about Jesus. We're going to be directly, hearing directly from Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. If you believe that the Bible is really God's Word, then, then this time is going to be for us as if we were following Jesus and hearing Him just like the disciples did. And by the way, I, my mind just exploded when Lee gave that illustration this morning. It's all over the things that he said, all over this message. Jesus didn't, didn't um, say, okay, one at a time now, I'm going to teach the disciples. What did he do? He pulled 12 together. And most of the time, there was a much larger crowd following Jesus. There were times he said, just the 12, everyone else stay away. Then the crowds would push in and he would have compassion and, you know, they'd start again. And at times, from those 12, he pulled three aside. Peter, James, and John, there's no way to estimate how important Peter and John are to our faith. And James was given the honor, if you really believe what we've been thinking about so far this morning. James was given the honor of being the first apostle to die for Jesus. The gospel of Mark is, many people say, above all. It's a book about discipleship. So as we begin this study, let's assume the hearts and minds of disciples following Jesus. Let's just take a moment in prayer and ask God to give us the heart of a disciple as we study this book. Let's pray. Just ask the Lord to do that, would you? Lord, make me a disciple. Father, um, we need to hear from you. <laughs> and it, I, I know it seems to some that... We hear so clearly at church or in home group or in Bible study. But when we're all alone, well, Lord, uh, two things I suppose I would say about that in this prayer. Uh, one, we're, we're, we're never alone. You're always with us. But two, you've designed us to be in community. And you speak to us in that way. So Lord, while the number is greater than 12, it, 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 it's not number than the gra- greater than the number that, that heard you when you preached time and again, Jesus. So give us the hearts and minds of disciples. Give us the feet of disciples. Give us the commitment, the willingness to give up everything for the pursuit of Jesus. Lord, um, we yield to you even as we hear from you, in Christ's name, amen. Well, to the, I typically choose to, to read the text um, before I pray, this morning I did it after, after I pray and Um, We'll do it after I pray and I I know as we we think about the beginnings the very beginnings. sometimes part one tacked on to the end of a a sermon title you know can bother you because you kind of want everything packaged up I mean we do live in um, a right now society and spend an hour with Oprah if you can find her channel now and or, or spend an hour with Dr. Phil whoever it is you know that's that's doing his thing now. And, and, and give me a list. Give me something to do. And everything's going to be alright by tomorrow. Um, life doesn't work that way. Because God does not work that way. It's a process. We spend too much time in the cultural Bible. Instead. Let's go to the only place to the Word, to the Word of God that can provide a sure foundation and a a guide and a sure footing in a shaky, shaky world in in, in the Word. And let this Word seep into the crevices and the secret places of your heart and your mind. Just, Just allow it to saturate your mind. Just like it did the disciples as they followed Jesus. Hanging on every word that he said. Having said all this, uh, you're going to think that Mark would fit quite well in our society. Because he he keeps a pretty good pace. Uh, But we're going to see how very reflective he is. So let's get started. We're going to read the first 13 verses of... Mark 1, so if you would please, we're not going to cover them all. Please stand as we usually do for the reading of the Word. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Now, let me just, I have to say this. Stop and say this. Matthew and Luke tell the story of Jesus' birth. John Goes all the way back to before creation. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. They talk about Jesus' origins. Mark, which was probably the first gospel written. Just jumps right in. He gets down to business right away. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way. And wild hunting. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you. I am well pleased. Talk a lot about this next week. That. Is what. The Lord thinks of you. If you belong to Jesus. Because when he sees you he sees Jesus. And with you he is well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Be seated. <clears throat> so who was this Mark? Mark? Who was Mark? And he, the guy that wrote this, this, this book, this gospel, who was he? Well, he was very likely the anonymous young man that ran out of the garden when Jesus was arrested. <clears throat> he was the Mark who abandoned Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary trip and, and, and the cause of which or, or the result of which was that Paul and Barnabas split up because they, they argued about Mark and his, his fitness to serve the Lord. Uh, it's very evident in both the writings of Peter and Paul that Mark had a huge role later uh, in gospel ministry all over the kingdom, especially in Rome. Every time you turn around, Paul is either with Mark or asking for Mark when he's in, in Rome. In prison. Uh, He's with Peter when Peter writes from Rome, most likely right up to the time of their execution. Both of them were executed around the mid 60s. Uh, There's great speculation, and some would say it's really more than speculation, It's, it's very evident that Mark was Peter's secretary. And that association makes it more than likely. That the gospel according to Mark is really the gospel according to Peter as recorded by Mark. You get that? I mean, Mark is with Peter all the time. And Peter is telling Mark about what it was like following Jesus all day, all night, for three to three and a half years. And this gospel has Peter's personality written all over it, pun intended. Um, I I hate to do this to you. Obviously, I don't. If if you're OCD, anybody like this, don't raise your hand. I, I am definitely like this. But you should know that well over half the verses in Mark begin with the word and. I'm so OCD, I counted them. You know, I've heard it, read it, but I needed to be sure. And there are like 50 more verses... Than half the verses, so like a hundred, with that where and 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 it's almost like a little little child saying. And then this is what happened. And then and then and then Mark has a story to tell, and he wants to get it told. Immediately is one of the most significant words in the gospel, and it often signifies not only not only uh, an abrupt change in the story, but a surprising one, one that you wouldn't have anticipated. Like we see the, the baptism a little later in our text that we'll get to next week. And then immediately what? The Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted. Alright, you're ready for ministry. Okay, now spend 40 days being tempted. For all of his impulsive actions. All of his impulsive remarks. Peter seems to have been a humble man. I mean, I hope no one... I hope You knowing that Peter had a big hand in this gospel gives you maybe a a little bit of a different understanding. I I do this all the time. I mean, I just saw Peter years ago in a different light. So I've said it a hundred times from the pulpit in one way or another. Um, But when you look at what Peter does here, because people have such an impression. I mean, most people, when when they talk about Peter, tell me about Peter. You know, it's like their head goes up, their eyes roll back, and it's like, oh, Peter. Well, yeah, there's some of that. There's some of that to be seen in Scripture. But look, this gospel, which is attributed to Peter as much as it is to Mark, uh, doesn't leave out any of the bad stuff. Well, maybe some of it. But, but, but there's a lot of, of Peter's fleshly, bumbling ways that are left here. And, and there's not the, the acclaim that Matthew gives Peter. I mean, Matthew said, man, Jesus said, look, you, you've got the keys to the kingdom. Peter doesn't say that in Mark. Peter. Probably didn't know that uh, the world would exist another 2,000 years. Because he was looking for Jesus return at any moment. Which is another thing that, that studying this gospel ought to do. Long for Jesus to come back. and I, So I doubt seriously Peter would have, could have possibly thought. You know 2,000 years from now they'll be reading about this. And I, I just can't. I've got to leave this stuff in because it's a true story. I mean I know who I am and I know who I am without Jesus. Near the end of his life, Peter's not trying to rewrite history. But he certainly knew that believers and followers of Jesus would read this for another, well, until Jesus returns. It could have been called the gospel according to Peter, but we know it as the gospel according to Mark. For all of his impulsive actions and remarks, Peter seems to have been a humble of man. Right from the beginning, Peter and Mark let you know it's not about them, it's about Jesus. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me tell you about Jesus. From now on, I'll refer to the author as Mark, who, in verse 1, is speaking about the good news found in Jesus. Not so much the story about Jesus, though this is is very much a story about Jesus. It would be 150 years from from this time before believers would start referring to the account of Jesus' life and ministry as death and resurrection, as the gospel according to, as in, this is the gospel story. But when Mark wrote these words, he was talking about the gospel that we think about, as in, Jesus died, and when we repent of our sin and trust Him, we belong to Him. So Mark is speaking about the good news, just like we would speak about the gospel of Jesus. Now, in this story, you see there's a lot of sort of introductory material this morning. But in this story, we're going to encounter three different groups of people that Mark features. The religious leaders the disciples, and the crowds. We're going to see those three different groups of people a lot. Which one of those three groups understood Jesus? None. No. L- listen to this introduction uh, from the Faith Life Bible. When the time came for Jesus to go to the cross... The religious leaders arrested him, the disciples abandoned him, and the crowds jeered him. The disciples had no idea what was going on. They were shocked when he was arrested and beaten and crucified. It made no sense whatsoever to them. But you hear people all the time, but, but you, because they just didn't understand Jesus' message time and again. He's saying, oh, you of little faith, you hard-hearted, how many times am I? How am I going to, I'm going to have to keep putting up with you how long? You just don't get it. And in John 14, you know, he's saying, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. He talks a little bit more and they say, okay, now we've got it. And Jesus, I mean, look, we don't catch it, but Jesus is just being, you know, the sarcastic Like we were, oh, you got it now? Oh, good. Well, I'm so glad about that, because just in a couple of hours, you're just gonna you're gonna be all over the place, scattered. In fact, when you hear people saying, "I, "I wanna wanna just stick to the teachings of Jesus," I just love the words of Jesus. They're so simple. He taught in such simple ways. Well, he used simple languages. He used analogies that people could understand, but we didn't get it. In in fact, when people say, I want to stick to the Gospels because Jesus' teaching was so simple, uh, it makes me think of of, a princess bride. You know, Vizzini, the vertically challenged Italian guy, kept saying, inconceivable, inconceivable. And finally, Inigo Montoya says, you keep using that word, I don't think it means what you think it means. That's what I want to say. You keep talking about the teachings of Jesus. I don't think he meant what you think he meant. Nobody got Jesus teaching. It was not until after his resurrection, and really even beyond that, beyond Pentecost, when when the Holy Spirit came, and and he helped us to understand the word, and, and, and the disciples started piecing it together somewhere. Peter got it between the resurrection and Pentecost. It's not like he spoke in a trance. But Jesus came and taught the disciples. Many We don't see a lot of that. But after the resurrection, Jesus was teaching the disciples. And Peter, when he stood up, he said, Okay, you read this in the Old Testament? You read that? Let me tell you. It was pointing to Jesus. It was pointing to this day when the Holy Spirit would pour out His power on us. Well, even the centurion at Jesus' crucifixion who, crucifixion, who said, truly He was the Son of God, spoke better than He knew. He, he didn't say that like, like, like we would mean it today. He's like, wow, this is, this is beyond me. This is a spiritual thing. So if Jesus' words were so confusing... How do we know what they meant? Look, in home group this week, you're, you're looking at some stuff that's in, in, in Mark that just, just doesn't make sense at all. I mean, you know, if your eye offends you, if your eye causes you to sin, what does Jesus say? Gouge it out. Was, oh Okay, well, you know, we know that that's hyperbole. Yes, it, it's true. But then he says, because it's better to enter life maimed than to have both eyes and spend eternity in hell. Wow, well, what does it mean? Well, okay, again, we, we can piece it all together. I mean, if we don't acknowledge that God appointed the apostles to help us understand Jesus' actions and teachings, then we're going to conclude that there's a far different gospel than the one in which Jesus died for sinners. Jesus was this really good guy anointed by God. Maybe he was God himself, but he was trying to teach us how to live and take care of the poor and help each other. And he was willing to die for his beliefs. That's all we're going to get if we don't understand what the apostles told us about Jesus. And you see the understanding of the gospel. Let me me just save that for just a moment. But keep that thought in, in, in mind. Mark is not telling us Simply, that Jesus was an example for us to know how to live. He's telling us this story so that we will know what God wants us to know. What's that? Jesus died for sinners. Even though the apostles began to make sense and, to, and explain the gospel more fully than it was explained in these gospel accounts of Jesus' life, these... Accounts of Jesus' life that we we know as the Gospels. Even so, unless the Holy Spirit removes the blinders from our hearts and minds, we're not getting it. We're just not getting it. But once you understand, it's almost certain that you will believe. It's just the way it is. So apart from the Lord working in our hearts and minds, we don't get... This gospel, even with him working in our minds, it's, it's going to be difficult. But here's a challenge I want us to consider. Uh, we know, we, we've already acknowledged that, that Jesus' words make much more sense after Pentecost than before. But even so, as we work our way through Mark, we need to hear Jesus' words as he said them. Of course we want to get... Get a full understanding. But we need to let these words hit us the same way they hit the disciples. And and be as vulnerable. And even as confused as they were. Because that's where the word begins to seep into us at such a level. That it begins to change us. Let's not read this story with a spiritual smirk, as it were. And I, look, I, I, I'd like to have a better way of saying that. But here's the point that I'm making. I think you know what I'm saying. Okay, well, Jesus said that about your eye. But we know what he meant. He just meant, look, you need to, you need to focus on the Lord, not on other things. Well, what if he meant something close to what he said? Wouldn't that be Amazing. We need to hear this word like the disciples did. There's no danger ever that we're going to preach from... Well, I shouldn't say ever. Not in the near future. If I started preaching from this pulpit, that you better watch yourself, or you, you, either you may not be saved, or you better, apart from the gospel, look, the gospel is going to be preached from here, that we've got nothing... If without Jesus' death on the cross, it's His righteousness, it's the virtue of another that saves us. Not any saint, only Jesus. Virtue saves us. We'll never get away from that. Not, not as long as the elders are in their right minds. Please, that's, don't even go there. As long as we're in our right minds and... The Lord continues His work in our lives, which we know He who began a good work in you will continue. So don't worry about that. But let these words of Jesus hit you full force. We are, after all, disciples walking with Jesus. Notice that Mark doesn't waste any time saying that the gospel was already in Scripture. (laughs) In Isaiah, in fact, and also in Exodus and in Malachi, you can go back and find allusions in those places. Please know that when we talk about the gospel at Grace, we're talking about all of Scripture. We're not just talking about... That's one of the things that's kind of confusing about saying, let's get in the gospels. No, this is the gospel. And when you think about it, the gospel is... is, Pervasive in your life and in all of history. It's that storyline of scripture. Say it with me. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Let's try that again, class. So say it together. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And it's really more of a cycle than it is a line. It's a line, but it's a cycle as well. I mean, God creates the universe, man sins, he falls. And then God redeems man. And even though the earth is messed up because of man's sin, He's redeeming it in places all over the world. And He one day is going to restore us. And He gives us that hope. He gives us that hope of heaven. It's one of the things that's so confusing in this life. In America, hope is hope that things are going to get better. Biblical hope has nothing to do with that. God shows himself strong in our lives, but biblical hope is always eternity with Jesus. And if you're hoping for your circumstances to improve, they may, and God may show himself beautifully strong, or they may not, but that's okay. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in heaven. Eternity with Jesus. And you see it in all of history as well. God's story being worked out through a gospel gospel cycle. And it's been there all along. It's not that the New Testament replaced the Old Testament. Look, we have two stories. We have two sections of the Bible, excuse me, Old and New Testament, but there's only one story. It's complete in Jesus, who is the focal point of all the Bible. He ties everything together. It started in the garden, for goodness sake. There's temple language or pointing to sacrifice before man ever sinned. What do we do? with it? I don't know what to do with that. We've already visited that and said there's nothing we can, there's no way to explain it, but we do know That God has had the cross overshadowing all of His creation. And one day when we're with Him, this story is going to be complete. Listen, the story gets more complete all along, right? There are extra parts added to it. And so, uh, uh, Exodus, Isaiah, Malachi. And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist is on the scene fulfilling those prophecies. And then Jesus, the story of Jesus, but even still it doesn't make sense. Kind of like the blind man who is in Mark and Jesus puts mud on his eyes. I think he does the same, no, he does in John 9 that Sean was talking about last week, but he sees things like men walking like trees and then he goes and washes and it's complete. His vision is complete. Well, That's the way it is in Scripture. There are a couple of things I I want to point out in verses 2 to 3. The first is, I've already said, Mark is quoting Isaiah, Malachi, and Exodus. And as in almost all of Scripture, prophecy, all of prophecy, Isaiah, Malachi had a word for the near future, but also for the future, for the time of the Messiah. Now, do you know where Malachi is in the Old Testament canon? Which book is it in the Old Testament? Last one, isn't it? Ezra and Nehemiah may have been written after, possibly, probably were written after Malachi, but there's a sense in which after Malachi speaks, then there's 400 years of silence. Now, in our church history class recently, we we learned that God, while he was quiet, was quite active in that time preparing the way for Jesus. And now in Mark... The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Mark lets us know right away, this is just the story that's been being told all along. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet. One of the preparations that we learn about for the gospel that we learned about in church history was that that God was working through those 400 years of silence Uh, in a lot of different ways, but he was establishing the Greek language as the common language of the Roman Empire during Jesus' time. Uh, Greek was the perfect language to tell the gospel story. It wasn't the most refined language of the day, but there are many advantages for this particular language for the written word. The verb tenses in Greek tell us more than the English verb tenses tell us. When you see a verb written in a particular tense... In the Greek, it tells us more than it would be if it were written in English. For instance, a verse written in the perfect tense means it's talking about an action that was completed in the past, but there are implications, there's significance, there is meaning for the present time. The time of the, the writer is the technical way that that's uh, played out. But, but since the word is eternal, it's always got meaning. When you see the New Testament phrase, it is written. It is always referring to an Old Testament passage and the perfect tense is used in the Greek, which means that even though it was written in the past, the truth is still in effect today. Make sense? Here's one in in, in the New Testament that we hear a lot. It is finished. Written in the perfect tense. Jesus didn't speak it in the Greek. He most likely spoke it in Aramaic. Wake up, wake up. He spoke it in Aramaic, but it's written in the Greek in the perfect tense. And you know what the significance is? When Jesus said, it is finished, it could literally have been translated paid in full. And the sins that were paid for then are still in effect now. And will be for all eternity. Well, God was silent. Between the Old and New Testament writings. But he was at work. His promises were fulfilled in Jesus. So, in reality, we can say that God is never silent, His Word is always speaking. When your pain is intense and you feel as though the heavens are closed. Open the word. God is speaking. And you say, well, that's, that's, that's my problem. I open the word. That was one of my problems when Linda got sick. My, my first wife who, who died of a brain tumor. I would open the word and I knew what was in there. But God, as I stayed in the word, began to minister to me in fresh ways. So if He doesn't speak as loudly or as clearly as you want at the moment, stay there. He's speaking. And let this word sink deep into the crevices and the secret places of your heart, your mind, your soul. As we pursue Jesus in the way that Paul pursued him. Is there any better place to be than in the Gospels? In fact, if you want to know Jesus, like Paul talked about in Philippians 3 10, don't ever get too far from the Gospels. Uh, they're explained in the epistles of the New Testament. But we need to be hearing from Jesus. And so as we work our way through Mark, Look at Jesus. Listen. To Jesus. Follow him as closely. As you can. And when it doesn't make sense. Trust him anyway. Let. Jesus. Become your life. And let him change you as he lives in and through you. Let's pray. And just going a little bit farther in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Go in peace and be a disciple this week.